So hello everyone and welcome to Nikki Lyle Creative Presents with Industry Leaders where today I'm joined by James Gilmore who's Creative Director at Design Studio who's joined us all the way from Australia. Um, so yeah, welcome James and um, just a quick intro for anyone that doesn't know. So James has over a decade's worth of experience working with global brands such as the Premier League, Logitech and Roly. Um, so the way we're going to structure this talk is I've got a couple of questions for James and then we've got a little Q&A box at the bottom. So feel free to ask them throughout the session, but we'll allow about 10-15 minutes to get to those and feel free to tweet or share the event on Instagram so we can spread the word. So yeah, welcome. Hey Nikki, thanks for having me. <laughs> so right, I will get to the first question, shall I? Um, so how did you start out your career as a creative? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think through the kindness and patience of a lot of other people, probably. Yeah. Um, so I, I was never really kind of aware of, of like design or branding when I was growing up. I was interested in a lot of different versions of design. I was really interested in uh, architecture for a bit and then kind of car design and then editorial design. And I sort of went through all these phases as a child until I think it was probably in my teens when I started really getting into um, music and in particular kind of DJing and that as I think with a lot of people my age led me into like record cover design and like looking on the back of records to see who designed them which led me to people like Designers Republic and Vaughan Oliver and and kind of all of those guys and um, after I studied design I studied at uh, Liverpool John Moores which is a, a really great course it was you know, kind of very artsy and actually not terribly technical which at the time infuriated me but in on sort of reflection i think was was a really good balance um like uh, you know I, I was average like i was average at university i graduated with a two one um but during that three years i really grew my interest in agencies who were doing the kind of work that i wanted to do and the work that excited me and there was kind of a couple in particular at that time, so Studio Output, who were um, doing a lot of work with Ministry of Sound, the club in London, and they did all their flyers every month. And it was just amazing to see how far they could stretch what was essentially an A3 piece of paper creatively and, and kind of come up with these wild concepts and, and build really amazing content out of them. Um, and at the same time, there was a record label and a club night, Temper and Forward, who were Um, real pioneers of dubstep and underground music in the UK and there's an agency called Give Up Art who uh, is run by a good friend of mine Stuart Hammersley and he gave me my first internship and it was incredible like I got to see under the hood of work that I loved and admired and, and got to see inside an agency for the first time and I think that opportunity sort of allowed me to understand that you could work in the, uh, the space sort of in between culture and commerce and that kind of really fermented my interest in, in branding design and then 
eventually it all kind of came full circle because about a year later, I spent about a year doing internships when I came out of university. Um, I should stress that I graduated in 2008, which was literally as the financial crisis was um, melting down and the, and the world was kind of coming to pieces, um, which has obviously come back around again. Uh, and about, yeah, about a year after kind of interning around various agencies and figuring out what I did want to do and what I didn't want to do and trying lots of different spaces and different kinds of work and working with lots of different people, I was really lucky and I got a junior design job at, at Studio Output. Uh, Rob, Dan and Ian gave me my first um, gig and, and that kind of really set me up and, and helped me find my feet and helped me figure out kind of what kind of work I wanted to be doing, but also just like learn all the skills that you know, like respectfully art school doesn't teach you and you need to figure out on the tools, on a live job with other designers and other people to kind of uh, help you on that journey as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. Well, that's, that is what being a junior is all about, isn't it? It's about just absorbing and, and taking on all the advice that you can. And if you're lucky to have the right creative lead or mentors to guide mm. you in the right agencies. Um, would you say you have a distinct design style at all? Um, yeah, I, I definitely have my own biases and it's something that I'm conscious of and I try to work against. I try and work against my preference for my style um, because like, it's not just me, you know, there's a team of 10 of us here in Sydney, there's kind of six other designers and actually it's about us collectively pushing ourselves in different directions to make sure that the result is distinct and interesting every time um, mm. rather than me setting the course with a style it's about kind of helping them navigate much more complex challenges around client relationships or complexities of the project itself rather than the sort of stylistic piece I, I definitely have a style and I definitely have a kind of work that I, I love and I sort of, I'm drawn to, but the, I think the more senior you become, unless, you know, you are a, a kind of really named designer and your style is your asset, you have to become much more open and flexible. Um, yeah. yeah. And do you have any creative heroes that you take design inspiration from? Um... I mean, I definitely have heroes. Um, it's super cheesy, but my dad is definitely one of my heroes. Like he's a teacher and I think the work that he does is like actually valuable to society. Um, whereas I just try and sell more stuff. Um, in terms of design heroes, I think, you know, for someone I'm in my mid thirties, I think it's probably a lot of similar people to kind of a lot of other people my age. So like, designers republic and all those guys like matt pike um michael c place at build um intro it was really interesting hearing um intro mentioned last night on the on the chat um like intro partnership were a huge influence and i think a lot of their work that they did with uh like primal scream again like really music orientated um my friend stuart who i mentioned give up art like He's a, a small independent studio of, of kind of one person and he brings in other people every now and again, but the, 
the quality and consistency of the output is is phenomenal um and then i think you know i think there's there's kind of less heroes but you know people that i really look up to because of their sort of diversity of, of talent and, and ways of working i think pentagram i just find to be a fascinating um fascinating like operating model you know lots of little studios within one big studio and kind of all of these leaders in one house of really different disciplines um yeah okay and uh, lots of inspiration there definitely it's, that's one of the things that's always quite interesting actually um so how did you first start working at design studio yeah that's um god that's interesting so first joined design studio in the summer of 2012 um so as i mentioned i, I kind of got my first gig at studio output and i'd spent three years there um working on everything like we were working on this really interesting broad set of clients that were kind of always plugged into culture in very different ways whether it was kind of hospitality clients or tech and um, entertainment clients like the BBC and Sony PlayStation and, and all this stuff and as a junior in a studio of I think it was six people I got to do everything which was incredible and it allowed me huge amounts of learning and, and massive opportunity which I don't think I would have seen in a bigger studio um, at that point in my career and I was living in, so at that point, Studio Output had two studios in the UK, uh, one in Nottingham where they were originally founded and um, one in London because of the Ministry of Sound and sort of BBC relationships. And I was living in Nottingham, which um, was like, it's crazy. It's hands down the cheapest place I've ever lived, like wild. Uh, and I, after like three years, I was sort of getting a bit kind of itchy for something new. You know, I'd started to figure out this branding thing and, you know, wanted to work on bigger pieces. Um, and personally, I'd, I'd like really developed an interest in motion and 3D work. Like I taught myself Cinema 4D and was kind of doing a lot of the 3D work that we did at Studio Output. Um, and... So I start. I just started thinking about like what next, and potentially move to London. And I started looking around. I was like, okay, I, I want this crossroads of of brand and motion. I want to grow my three D skills. I want to look at my art direction skills. I want to push those forward. I want to work for big clients. And it's really interesting. Like if I, I kind of reflect on Design Studios' sort of outward persona, then it was quite mysterious like we had this website which barely had any work on it kind of communicated very little about what they did and it was because we were doing huge amounts of work for nokia when nokia existed and but we couldn't show any of it we couldn't show any of it publicly because it was all kind of you know secret and and as with a lot of rostered and retained agencies your work kind of goes out through various channels and mediums and it's hard to sometimes claim authorship so anyway, i i was sort of looking around thinking about that this was i think when i was just getting into using twitter like, and i was following uh, a guy called james greenfield who was who had just come in as the the creative director at, at design studio he'd been a man versus machine and um airside before that when they existed 
And he, he put that tweet and said, hey, we're looking for digital designers, um, you know, with a couple of years experience to come in and join the team. And I reached back to him and said, hey, I'm not a digital designer, but I'd love to have a chat. Um, and it just sort of went from there. You know, I, I jumped on a train, went down for a, for a chat with James and a bit of an interview. And I think about two weeks later, I was moving to London. Well, so it happened that quickly and through Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's funny. Like I don't use Twitter at all anymore. It's just, it's just become this sort of absolute minefield of. Uh, it's just yeah, it's crazy. But um, yeah, I think it was like at that point when, and it still is like just reaching out and and kind of taking a chance and saying hello to someone and seeing what comes from it. Mm. Um, and it was like it was it was funny again. Like listening to Mark last night talk about people knocking on the studio door and just like chancing it. And, I 100% agree like you know you you don't miss out if you like if you don't try like you'll you'll never know and I think it, it is really important to like push yourself to make contact with the people that you want to work with and want to work for yeah that is a really good point like every industry leader that I've spoken to in the series has said exactly what Mark said yesterday which is just reach out to us um, and they like it when you do and they respect it because it, it is intimidating just approaching an agency and saying, Hey, take a look. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what, like behind all the work and the agencies and the reputation, they're just people who like to talk about creative stuff with other people. Mm-hmm. And you know what, if they reach back and say, hey, let's have a chat, wonderful. If they reach back and are offended and are rude about it, then you know what, you don't want to work from anyway, because they're probably terrible people. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> agree wholeheartedly. Um, so yeah, Design Studio, is, as we all know, work with a really impressive mixture of clients what would you say is the formula behind Design Studio that makes it create such great work? Is there a bit of magic there or? Um, it's interesting. I, like, I think great work gets you great work. You know, like it, it is like you do something wonderful and people see it and they want to be part of it. And, you know, we've been really fortunate and you know, through our own hard work and through the stars aligning to work with some incredible clients and and work on some amazing projects. One of the things which is is kind of core to to us and the way we work and and it's kind of why we Ben and Paul, who founded the agency, started it was a real belief to put designers and creatives in the room with executive decision makers. You know, the people who are making key decisions about the future of organizations and businesses and communities and cultures and get creatives and designers into that room and into that conversation which is is a lot more common now but you know i think 10 11 years ago when ds was founded i I really don't think it was and that was you know it was often the designers were held behind kind of layers of account management or strategists or you know pms and and they would go into the meeting and they would present the work and then they would filter it back and it would be this this kind of weird barrier between those who had the most responsibility for the decisions around a business and those who had the most responsibility around the decisions of the look and feel and voice and experience of that brand and business and 
by shortening that gap and getting those people in the room together, it allows you to ask, you know, frankly, like obvious daft questions because, you know, you need to kind of ask those almost like childlike questions um, to interrogate a problem. And, you know, in my experience, like I think designers are some of the best people to do that because they want to get to the root of something. They want to get to the heart of it. And then that gives them something to build from. So I think I think that kind of shortening the gap and kind of really proving the value of design in a in a business situation has been really powerful for us. You know, we and you know that has led us to kind of work with a lot of the high profile clients. I think in terms of a magic formula, you know, we're now four studios, um, and you know something that we've done over the past couple of years is to try and like codify a way of working and and what we kind of build and an orbit a brand around which we call a meaningful difference it's it's the kind of thing at the heart of uh, a team a community a culture an organization which is unique it, it's almost like um i was listening to a, a science podcast a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about like dark matter which is you know this huge percentage of all of the stuff in the universe but no one can see it it's kind of like dark matter it's everything that is there but is almost like intangible and it's through through a really agile immersion process through a really interrogative strategy process we draw that out and use that as a foundation for building a brand a product an experience which is truly differentiated and is truly uh, powerful and that often means building brands which have to talk to millions tens of millions maybe even billions of people you know in terms of things like the premier league and so it's really about working towards that kind of really powerful really distinct but really human core idea which then sets up a brand and sets up um you know a visual design system that can springboard off of that um so i think yeah it, it's it's a funny one and you know it's it's something i was really aware of kind of opening an office here in, in sydney is how can i both you know leverage everything that i've done and been part of before so start to build a new chapter as well and kind of look forward to, to what we want to do. Mm. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask actually is how do you take the culture from design studio in London and then put that in Sydney and in other offices overseas as well? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I can, I don't think there's a magic formula. And I think there's also, I think there's like a question at the heart of that, which is what are you trying to import and export? You know, what are you trying to replicate? What are you trying to flex and change and adapt to local markets and spaces and give those teams the room to do their version of it? Um, in the case of Sydney, I, you know, I worked in the London studio for about four and a half years from kind of midway up to design director. And, you know, for kind of through a lot of the, you know, greatest hits i suppose as you may call them all kind of big hits the, the airbnbs and deliveries and premier leagues and logitechs and like all that stuff when we were like really ramping up into almost kind of what we are now and growing into what we are now like i was there through all of that and so you know i i was part of that culture i imbibed a lot of it and part of my kind of desire first of all to to open a space here but also to set up a team here was to kind of bring some of that 
to Sydney and bring some of that to this market because it's it's not something that I'd experienced elsewhere and I felt there was like a real gap and a real opportunity. So I think, you know, taking someone from other studios and kind of moving them around uh, is one way to do it. I think building really close ties between the studios is another way to do it. Like we're constantly all talking to each other, whether it's through things like group slacks or uh, Zoom meetings or, uh, you know, when we could fly, we would get all four teams together kind of once a year for a big Christmas party, which was always um, pretty wild as you can imagine. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, and like, you know, cause so there's kind of the, the things you can do, but then similar to the sort of building a formula around the process, starting to actually like, you know, look at ourselves and say, you know what, we're, we're 11 years old. What are our like values as business? What are the kinds of people that we want to hire? what are what are the ways in which we want clients new hires externals to kind of experience and perceive us and, and and start to think about how all those pieces contribute to that as well yeah i mean i will start asking you more about australia um in a minute but i want to right. talk more about what projects are you proud of that you've produced at design studio oh uh, um this, oh, when you sent this over, I was like, oh man, that's a really good question. Um, there's, there's one, it's not like a project per se. It's kind of like before a project. So I'm a really competitive person and I love pitching. I think like putting aside all of the kind of moral questions around uh, worth and value and payment, and all those pieces, I do think there is something incredibly sharpening and focusing about like a pitch. Um, and so when we when we pitched on the Premier League, I mean, first of all, when that pitch came in, it was just like, oh my god, uh, like mind blowing. Um, and previous to that, I, I'd been working a lot on kind of a lot of Nokia work and and running a lot of big photo shoots and whether they were kind of product stuff or going out and doing really nice lifestyle shoots. It, I'd learned a lot about art direction I'd also built a really good book of photographers who I both love to work with and really respected and one of those is a really good friend of mine Kieran Perry who's a fantastic portrait photographer um, and we were having a beer in the cat and mutton is it the cat and mutton on the end of Broadway market I forget uh, we we're having a, part, a beer on, on the end of Broadway market one night and we were talking about this Premier League pitch coming up and just like bouncing ideas around and like chatting about what we could do. Cause we'd always like dreamed of working together on something which would be like really different to all the other work that we'd done. And we'd have like full control and we could drive forward. And we were like, you know what, like, why don't we just go and get a camera and go down to Hackney Marshes and like chat to people who are playing football on Hackney Marshes and take their portraits and talk to them about what football means to them and like why they play and are they involved in any teams and communities and all this stuff. So me, uh, Stu Watson, who's the CD at the time when I was DD, he now runs Nomad. Um, and Kieran, we jumped into Stu's car and we went down to Hackney Marshes and we started just like, just talking to strangers on Hackney Marshes and taking their portraits and there was like, uh, I remember that there was a guy from Peru and his son and, you know, they played because it was like 
the time that they could connect and, and uh, like hang out together because I don't think he saw much of each other because he worked nights. And there was a guy running drills and like staying insanely fit, just playing on his own, basically kicking the bar, the ball at the crossbar and then bouncing it off and running back. And then there was uh, a young group of girls who were playing together as well. And so anyway, we, we kind of documented all these people. We took their stories and basically that that way of looking away from the professional footballers and, and looking around the game at the people for whom it meant the most mm-hmm. kind of radically shaped the way we approached the pitch and, and the strategy which we eventually built and the brand that we eventually built because the whole Premier League brand is built around the strategy of we all make it the idea that you know without the fans around the pitch there's no game on the pitch and that approach for the pitch changed the way that we approached the brand the art direction for the brand became all about all of this photography of fans in stands all around the UK like Kieran and I spent two weeks going to pretty much every ground and every game in the UK and it's funny we'd see like the same fans from like really diehard groups at different games so it'd be like a group of palace fans um but then we also like really uncovered like really interesting emotional stories like there's a woman at um uh crystal palace in south london who goes to the game and goes to the ground every weekend and she knits hats and scarves in the sort of red and blue of the of the team shirt and she sells them outside but she never goes to the game she's just a sort of participant in the community around the game and so that that idea of like a starting with like a really personal relationship between kieran and i and you know playing with what we could do together and 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 just trying something because we thought it would be interesting and different and you know that then snowballing into a a pitch that won and then you know shaping the strategy and shaping the brand and shaping the art direction and like shaping the whole outlook of things i think for me that was yeah that was probably the piece that i'm most proud of yeah um and that that is a really interesting story i didn't know the backstory to that actually and how that how you came up with that um do you have any creative mistakes that you've made as well oh my god yes <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah i just, i love it when people ask this question because for like 30 seconds we all just try and like no 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 it's all fine it all works out in the end no of course like we all make mistakes we're, we're all human um there is one which was like pretty nuclear and i've told this one several times i've told it on stage so it's fine um when i was when i was a junior designer and when i was working at studio output we had um bbc radio one and bbc radio one extra as like two of our big tentpole clients and i don't know if they still do it in the uk but around that time they used to do um uh, Radio One's big weekend, like huge festivals that would run in the summer and like all the Radio One pop stars would play and all this stuff. Anyway, I'm like junior designer, two and a bit years in and um, I I get given this job to do like all of the branding, all the merch for uh, BBC Radio One's one big weekend thing. So I'm I'm thrilled. I'm you know, staying late and being really you know studious and kind of putting in all the hours because I think this is is like the best thing ever. Um, somehow and you know, I think through my own fault and and through like things getting missed in the studio, 
I send all this stuff off to print. There's like t-shirts, totes, posters, all this, all this stuff. A um, couple of days later, I get called up into a meeting uh, with Rob, who is one of the partners and one of the founders. And he tells me that there's a, there's a mistake with some of the work that I've done. I'm like, oh my God, you know, what's it, what is it? You know, can we sort it out? Um, basically, it turns out that <laughs> there's, a, there's a British girl group or was a British girl group called Sugar Babes who were headlining that year. And uh, it turns out that there's no R in Sugar Babes. It's S-U-G-A-E-S. And I spelled it sugar, like sugar babes. Um, So anyway, somewhere there are something like 10,000 t-shirts in a landfill, um, which (laughs) have the wrong spelling of Sugar Babes on them. But I think like a couple of things like really really like came out of that for me it like you know that cost that cost the studio money like we had indemnity insurance against that which is obviously you know part of running a studio I think that was the first time I'd ever heard of that thing as a junior designer like it really connected and brought home um the commercial reality of what you do as a junior designer scared the living daylights out of me um you know there was like rightly so, those discussions about letting me go as a small studio and it cost them a lot of money. Like to Rob and Dan and Ian's credit, they didn't. They kind of gave me the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, uh, my career was nearly cut short by the sugar babes. So I don't know how many people can say that. <laughs> no, that's one of the most common, like, I love asking this question, but one of the most common things is things like typos actually um mm. i know of something that happened once with say like design bridge where they did a honey project where they had all the the labels for like the bees and um this guy had handwritten all the labels and then realized 200 or 300 in they'd spelt like honeybee or something wrong so then they oh, had no. print yeah then do all that and it's always seems to be typo stuff and um and a lot of design- uh, yeah I mean, it did like, it really sharpened my appreciation for, for spell check. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think like, that's the other, like I was, we were in a studio with no art workers, no finished artists. Like I then went to a studio which had artwork and like you learning to artwork and like finish art your own stuff is incredibly useful. Like even now when I'm able to kind of walk junior designers through it, but Always get your work spell checked. Yeah, valuable lesson there. Um, So moving on to Australia, what did you do to Australia? Um, I'd never been. As simple as that. Like, I was kind of, I'd done nearly five years in London, Mm -hmm. about sort of seven or eight years in the UK in, in, in output and then DS and I don't know, like I was getting to a point where I could see myself staying in London and I love London. It's so much fun. Um, but I w- I'd been, I'd actually been really fortunate um, during my time at Design Studio or to, to like essentially travel the world. You know, I think I went to most places um, with several big jobs and spent like significant amounts of time on in San Francisco, especially for Logitech and a little bit for kind of a piece of work for Airbnb. And that started to really pique my interest in life outside the UK. Um, like I, I'd never lived anywhere else. I grew up in the Northeast of England and then 
lived in Liverpool, then Nottingham, then London. And all of a sudden, I had the opportunity to think about something else. Mm. And so I, st- I started looking into it. And basically, the really easy countries to get into um, are Australia and Canada. And I fancied living somewhere sunny and warm and, and hot. So I chose Australia. Um, and I'm glad I did because I love it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd never been here. I think as well, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in that my profession is very easily transferable, like so transferable that I could pretty much choose to go most places in the world um, and find work. And what, what's the work-life balance like in Australia? Because I hear it's quite good. It's, uh, it's great. I love it. Like, I have been surfing twice today. I surfed before work and then I surfed on my lunch. Uh, like, I live at a beach. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I definitely do work too much and too hard sometimes. And I think, you know, that's partially the role and you know partially my personality but yeah the work-life balance is is like much healthier than then you can you can balance it probably much better outside of london um but it it's you know you can do world-class work and go home to a beach which i think is is always pretty nice yeah, definitely. Um, so how did you set that up from going from London to then Sydney? Did you just approach them and say, hey, I'd like to set up an office over there? Or was it something they were looking to do and you just threw your hat into the ring? Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's a funny story. So, so I, I left, I left London, left the agency, um, moved here, spent a little bit of time working at another agency here. Um, which I don't know. I, I think I really enjoyed the kind of scale and kind of work we were doing in London and, you know, enjoyed being part of a really big team and coming to Australia. I think uh, there was a, personally, there was a little bit of a shock for me when I, I went from an agency of sort of 40 people down to an agency of like seven and kind of working within that team. And, and that took like a bit of an adjustment for me and, and definitely took uh, a bit of time to work that out. But basically what happened was Ben and Paul, two founders, were, were kind of over here um, at a creative conference called Semi-Permanent, which is, it's, if you've never heard of it, check it out. Like it's, it's phenomenal. It's probably one of the best um, conferences I've ever been to. Uh, like, I think, uh, who did they have last year? They had like um, Jonathan Zawada and they've sort of had people like Banksy, Paula Scher. Like it's, it's a really interesting broad spectrum of, of speakers. And so Ben and Paul were here speaking. They were doing a couple of days talking about like, the Premier League and Delivery and Airbnb. And, um, you know, obviously we just caught up and we were having a couple of beers. And, you know, they, they were sort of asking, you know, what's the agency scene like? Do you think? you know, would we do well here? And I was like, oh, hang on. This is an opportunity. And so, you know, like it was 
something which I was, you know, phenomenally interested in. Like I didn't leave the London studio for any other reason other than I wanted a different life. Um, and so we started talking about it and we sort of, you know, back and forth on it and, and what it would mean and what shape it would be. And, and uh, you know, the reality, the, the opportunity. And I think one of the other kind of driving pieces in that at that time is that, you know, London had seen a couple of pieces inbound from um, Australia, maybe Southeast Asia, that, you know, once you're that far from London, the time difference is just kind of unmanageable. And to be able to service those clients is, is nearly impossible. Like, you know, it's the end of the day for the client by the time the London team gets up and, you know, I think had maybe missed out on a couple of pieces because of that. And so we started sort of talking about what it mean. And, and um, that would have been towards the end of 2017. Um, you know, and we spent a couple of months kind of working it all out and doing all the due diligence that you have to do when you work at a company in, a, in another country. And then eventually we opened doors uh February the 2nd, 2018. Um, and when I say open doors, I mean, I was sat in a WeWork on my own, um, <laughs> banging, banging the drum and, uh, yeah. you know, banging the drum and, and starting to rev things up. What advice would you give to any creatives that are looking to relocate overseas from London? Oh, do it. Okay. Yeah. Like do it. You can always go home, Like you can always go home. It might feel like a long way, but really it's just a flight. Mm. It is like one flight and you're home. Like the fact that you can, you can step on a plane on one side of the world, one morning and get off the next morning on the other side of the world still blows my mind. Like it's wild. Um, yeah, they, you know, I think UK, London, whatever, wherever you are in the world, it's great, but you know, it, it can be very comfortable and I think putting yourself in a, in a new place and a new environment and, you know, figuring out the lay of the land is a really interesting challenge. Um, you know, and at the same time, like, you and your trade and your skill offers you the opportunity to experience cultures and places and, and like countries and, and cities that you may never have the opportunity to do so otherwise. And I think you'd be really foolish not to use that um, whilst you can. Yeah, definitely. So what advice would you give to juniors that are entering the industry at the moment? As you said, you graduated after the first recession and a lot of the talks I've had, grit and resilience has been like the number one thing that's come up. <laughs> Right. Um, just for the interview as a whole, yeah. uh, what advice would you give as a set of juniors now? Um, what would I say? I think it may feel like the world is ending and you are graduating into the worst time ever, but what you do and your trade and your craft has never been more valued or understood or applied in, in business ever. Like, you know, I look at the, the kind of kinds of jobs that you can have as a junior designer now, and it's 
bananas. Like, you know, when I graduated, it was like, I don't know, it was kind of like half a dozen versions of a designer. You would be like, I want to do branding or I want to do music design or editorial or I want to do digital design or they, you know, you can go and work for fascinating tech companies and startups and small studios, big studios, like cultural organizations, government, like the integration of design into society is, has never been better. And I think that's, that's phenomenal. Um, on the flip side, I get it. You're graduating and you don't have a job at the moment and that's like tough and scary and hard. Um, some design agencies won't make it and some businesses won't make it. A lot will. And new ones will kind of shoot up into the gaps and grow and, and prosper as well. Like what you do has incredible value in the world. And I think perseverance is, is, is wonderful. I think, you know, diversifying your skill set um but also like building your life experience like if you just graduated and like all of this is giving you anxiety about getting a job take a bit of time off if you can like if you have the luxury to do that take it off like uh you know read learn some skills improve your improve your capabilities um like as i spoke about at the beginning it took me a year to get my first job like i did internships for about a year and that was that was kind of a balance of I couldn't get a job. <laughs> I wasn't ready for a job when I graduated. Uh, but also, like, I think, I think internships are really valuable. I think they're really valuable for a couple of reasons. Like, they teach you a lot um, and you kind of learn a lot of, of skills that you won't have been taught in art school and, and you need to develop before you get a junior design role. Um, but I think you also need to spend time doing things that you don't want to do. And what I mean by that is like you need to go and work at a really cool agency that you think you want to work at, but then you actually find out that the kind of work they do most of the time isn't the thing you want to do. You know, you need to do, I went to an agency and did annual reports, which on the surface I knew nothing about. Turns out I hate annual reports and I don't want to do them. Um, you know, I worked at a small agency that did sort of retail fittings and fixtures. And whilst the work looked really cool, the culture was really dull. And, I think you need to give yourself that time to like figure it out. Like don't just pick, you know, the five coolest agencies because they're the five coolest agencies, like really investigate what gets you going and what gets you excited. Um, because I think if you're excited and you apply for a job and you have a conversation, that excitement comes across and then someone wants to bring you in because they kind of read that and see that in you. I think some people work better in different cultures than others and websites reveal a certain element to an agency but nothing beats being in there day in day out finding out about the culture and experiencing it for yourself mm. and if it's right for you as well um so what do you look for when you're hiring a creative for your team with yes um it kind of depends what level like if I'm looking for someone at a more junior level, it's I, I wanna I wanna learn something. I wanna I want I want you to teach me something, whether that is through your kind of life experience or if you're graduating, what you did at college or you know, where you've been or who you are or just what you're interested in. Like it's more of a energy and like a vibe and you know, I want 
someone who's passionate and interested and is going to ask questions because it's fine that they ask questions because they don't know. I, I, you know, skills and, and craft can be taught over time. That's fine. An interest in the world and an attitude and, and, and like an inquisitive nature. Maybe they can be taught. I think they, I think they're kind of quite tough to teach and maybe a little bit unteachable. I think as you get more senior, it's, you know, capability and flexibility. Like I, I want to see someone who is up for pushing themselves and challenging themselves and trying to work in new, new ways and be confident and comfortable collaborating with people within the studio, without the studio. Um, like language as well, like the ability to, you know, write and articulate an idea and get away from the same sort of kind of reference points and wells and actually unpack the possibility of a of a piece of work and a brief and, and an idea and, and see what it could be mm -hmm. um ultimately i want someone who i'm going to spend probably eight or nine hours a day with <laughs> is good good crack and you know is going to build a stronger more interesting more diverse culture and experience because yeah, it, you know, like as designers, we're trying to put ourselves at the sort of crossroads of culture and commerce and to represent broad culture, we need broad opinion and, and broad voices within the room and, and that diversity breeds strength as well. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, so going on to like the pandemic at the moment, which obviously has affected everyone globally, mm. but um, not it doesn't seem to have affected Australia quite in the same way as the UK. Um, I, th I think we've I think we have been fortunate um, for a number of reasons. Like uh, I, you know, as much as I don't kind of ideologically agree with the current government in Australia, they they acted quite swiftly to close borders, to institute testing, to kind of mandate that people work from home, stay at home, close public spaces, all of that stuff. Like uh, it was probably February or March uh, when all that started happening. And, you know, as, as a result, we have only had about, I think 6,000 cases and only about a hundred people have died. Like, you know, we have not been affected in the same way that, um, you know, I mean, you know, the UK and the US are like, the worst affected countries in the world. and Mm. uh it's almost it's almost like incomparable when i talk to like my parents and my friends and i think the 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 difference in situation is is like market um and really yeah it's 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 really different yeah and have you found that it's affected the work within the studio that you've been getting through um it's i mean it, well it's interesting like some of our clients so um we're working with a fitness app um called sweat at the moment who uh i mean they like they have seen their business skyrocket because it's all mobile like fitness app workout home stuff um other clients that we work with who are based in hospitality um have suffered but you know, have actually, you know, I think we, we spoke about this, have taken like a, quite a mature view of, you know, people will go on holiday again and we can't just sort of 
panic and shut everything down and cancel projects and you know stop everything we've got to keep moving forward and we need to be ready for when people do travel again and i think one of the things as well is like we from sydney we work in kind of all over southeast asia all over uh, asia as a whole kind of uh, china south korea uh thailand cambodia singapore a lot we we don't have we've only got kind of probably i'd probably say like a quarter of our clients are actually in australia but even then like you know knowing kind of friends and my partner were i think you know jobs are carrying on i think there was probably a a, a bit of a sort of panic stations uh at the start maybe a couple of months ago where people just sort of stopped because they didn't know what was 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 going to happen and then i think as this is like extended into you know as we as the sort of phrase goes the new normal like you know commercial activities have had to continue because you know budgets need to be spent things need to kind of keep moving forward and so I don't think we've, we haven't seen kind of projects cancel or put on hold. I think, you know, some sort of early stage inbound pieces that were, were being talked about when it really started to escalate a few months ago went away. But by and large, you know, I think we've been probably quite lucky as well um, and have, you know, managed to weather the storm a bit. Mm. And so one question I've asked everyone is how do you imagine the new normal's gonna look after everyone starts to ease more out of lockdown and also a lot of people have been doing a bit of soul searching and consumer attitudes have they changed in this time etc mm. what are your thoughts um i yeah it's, it's tough, funny, yeah. like, like it is tough. Like I think reflecting on my own personal experience, you know, I've obviously been at home for the past four, three, four months, um, which has meant, you know, I get an hour and a bit back every morning and about a bit back every night. It means I can do the things I love before work and at lunchtime, like surf, like I mentioned, and, you know, go for walks and hang out with my partner. And I think, yeah, I, I think there's just going to be a lot more flexibility around building a more conscious work-life balance, for one thing, I hope. Um, because, you know, we've this, this is essentially a mass experiment and we've all proven that we can work from anywhere and that, you know, things don't fall over and it's fine. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think, I like... Uh, a, a, a more kind of industry level for design i hope that we you know think more about our kind of role and responsibility in the world and you know being at that cross-section of kind of commerce and creativity you know one being incredibly human and emotional and tactile and the other being you know a mechanism of nations and, and states and business and understanding like our responsibility a bit more you know when we are potentially asked to work for organizations which don't have the environment's best interests at heart for example or society's best interests at heart you know and i think knowing what we've all been through 
I hope we can start to push ourselves to be a little bit better in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I must say, like, we're, we're starting to head back to work next week. Like, businesses are opening up here. So I am absolutely stoked to see the team. I can't wait at responsible distance. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think, like, yeah, I'm really excited to see them. And the, the, the challenge of doing, I think, all of our roles virtually, and I think in a kind of management role and a creative management role, especially it's really tricky because you know what would take two minutes sat with someone and just have a little chat becomes a call and then it's like you've got to send feedback and notes over slack you're like oh my god did i sound like an absolute ass when i sent that message and yeah i think like just more gratitude for for each other and more care for each other i think would be really awesome yeah, I agree. It seems to have brought out the best in a lot of people when the pause button's being pressed, when everyone's not mm. overwhelmed by, it was just full on, wasn't it? There's all sorts of things going on all the time with your career, entertainment, mm. living life, the expectations of social media, because everyone else is posting how brilliant their lives were. And all of a sudden, pause. And we've had yeah. a time to really reflect and do a bit of soul searching. But mm. um, I'm going to go on to the Q&A now um so let's see people yeah like. for sure and I think we've done quite well considering you're in Australia with the whole uh, connection There's been <laughs> yeah. here and there but it's not been too bad considering um okay so let's see what we've got um so in your experience when working in other countries, is there other design related things you have to consider in regards to trends and culture? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think less so on the trends piece, you know, we're all plugged into the same internet and we're all plugged into the same resources and and you know i think actually sadly we're all kind of looking at the same thing a lot of the time which is a bit boring um in terms of culture yeah 100 percent. and i think it's like personally I, I reflect on this thing a lot which is you know uh the uk and northern european design is is really affected and, and kind of has deep roots with like Swiss modernism, for example, and its proximity to Switzerland. And Australia doesn't have that. Like Australia has a uh, a white sort of European culture, which is two hundred years old. And I think things like geography really affect that. Like our proximity to uh, China and Southeast Asia, we have a really rich and diverse. Asian community here, which plugs in a lot of different culture that you just don't have in the UK. Um, I also think, like, and I look around at kind of the way in which design manifests here, and I, I think there's, um, I mean, there's some phenomenal designers here. Um, but I do think actually, like, a life spent growing up in a country which is like sunny and you can be outdoors all the time really changes the aesthetic of things um and changes the way you look at stuff so yeah i i definitely think there's 
I don't know if it's like considerations, but there's opportunities to discover something different in a in another country, which is is super interesting. Mm. And I mean, I've got a few questions here focused around design portfolio, and um, what do you look for in a portfolio when you're hiring? And also, the the big one is: do you prefer receiving a website or a PDF? Yeah. Um, I knew this would come up. <laughs> um, it, it's always like, it's always, it's always a good question. I think, okay, I'm going to give a bit of a bit of an annoying answer. First of all, I'm going to say, I'm not looking for anything in your PDF. I'm looking for something in you. Like I'm looking for you to show me who you are. Like I want to see your personality, your interest, your energy. Um, it could be a website, it could be a PDF, it could be a short film, it could be an interpretive dance. Uh, I think whatever medium is best served to demonstrate the work that you do, like my advice would be, like, what's the work that you do? If you're, if you're doing a lot of motion and digital, serve it up in a, in a way that demonstrates that best, whether it's like Google Slides or a .com. If you're doing a lot of print and, and kind of still stuff and you want to be able to take someone through on a laptop, do it in a PDF. Like as an example, you know, our creds that we take out to clients, we have it in several different formats. So we'll have like a keynote, a PDF, uh, obviously we have the website and it just means you have that flexibility um, to do it. Yeah. By the way, I'm just mindful of time, James. Do you have some, do you have some more time to answer a couple of these questions? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Way, um, someone's raised their hand. If I could just ask, if you could just ask the question in the Q&A, please because I've got a few to get through at the moment. Um, that would be great, thanks. So, um, this is quite an interesting one. Do you think there's a point where it becomes too late to understand, know what you really want to do? I skipped the internship phase and went straight to jobs, some which I liked, some which I liked less, but ended up doing something I know I don't want to do for much longer, but I'm 34. I work in-house trying to get out applying to agencies or studios, but find a barrier or even stigma because of my five years in in-house background. Uh, no, no, I don't think there's a time it's too late at all. Like, you know, I think if anything, you are showing that you are like conscious understanding of a, what you don't want to do, which I think is an incredibly important thing to know yourself well enough to know what doesn't kind of set you alight and, and bring you joy. Like I, there's, um, I remember we, we had an intern in the London studio. Oh man, this would have been like four or five years ago, Stephen, who he was like in his, I think probably early to mid thirties when he came in on an internship. But he was like determined, interested, excited about the opportunity, got stuck into everything. Like, no, like age isn't a barrier. I think, you know, you know, let's have like the honest conversation. Like design is a bit of an ageist like business. You know, it has preconceptions about what you should be doing at what age and where you should be and what you should achieve. But no, I I think if you know, if you can find the right agency who do the work that you want to do and you can kind of demonstrate that passion and energy to, you know, chart a path towards something which really excites you, I 100% I think you can, like, change direction. Like, 
I mean, I'm 34. I think, you know, if we're doing this for another 30 years, <laughs> um, although design isn't really an old person's game, it seems in some sense, but like, yeah, you can, you can hundred percent like change your direction. I think one bit of advice I always give and let me know if you agree with it, James, but there is a formula, right? When you come out of uni, you normally do what you did, which is your internships at some really good agencies. You build up your experience, whether it's in like branding or integrated, etc. And it can be really hard if you've just been working, say, in-house on annual reports. Let's give an example for mm. like six years. And then you're like, I want to work at Design Studio. But if you then think, okay, maybe even in this downtime, educate yourself on branding pick up some self-initiated projects do some online courses upskill yourself throw in like passion commitment grit determination get that experience and then try to maneuver your career you're going to stand way more chance trying to move over without any of that yeah yeah and i think i don't know it is a really tricky one um I think that that like knowing yourself and knowing that you want to like I've, I it's funny this that question actually made me think about like my journey and like you know ten years and you know at some point you're like okay what what next and like what does that look like and I think the great thing about a the creative industries and also just like the way we work now is that most people will probably see like two to three careers in their lifetime like. My dad was a teacher for 35 to 40 years. The likelihood of me being a designer for 35 to 40 years is probably quite narrow. Like I may want to go and teach. Like I, I do a lot of stuff with uh, universities and DNAD New Blood and, and all of that work. And we're fortunate that you can spend a significant amount of time doing one thing and then change it all because that's kind of the way the world is headed as well right now. So like that wind is at your back in a, in a sense. So yeah, don't, don't try not to get disheartened that, you know, you have sort of arrived at a place where you think like you're starting again, like all of that experience, good, bad, is something that you're bringing to the table that someone, however many years your junior is not. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really valuable. And I think, you know, it is kind of what sets you apart and what you can, can bring and the value you can add, even at that, that point where you're trying to change course. Yeah, definitely. Um, how are we doing for time? I'm fine. No? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's the evening for me, so I'm just uh, sitting right, okay. having a, having a natter. We'll keep going for a bit then. Um, so would you... Do, 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 where is it? Oh, yeah. Did you open up conversations with potential studios in Australia before you moved there? Yeah, I did. I did. And like, you know, partly because it's like, A, terrifying, you know, and I think like I reflect on that point in my life and I'd spent seven or eight years working full time and all of a sudden I was about to be like out into the job market again. And I think actually because of my own insecurity about that kind of time off, I was like, before I moved out, I started reaching out to loads of agencies. 
you know, sort of sizing them up for what I wanted to do. Ended up um, working at an agency called For the People for about nine months. Um, and, and like solely because of my conversations with Jason, who's the creative director, like his energy and his passion, like really brought me in. Um, and also it was like a small shop. I wanted to like experience something new. Um, in hindsight, I would have used that opportunity and that time to like freelance and see lots of different agencies and like push myself and like kind of almost like assess myself through that process, uh, you know, outside the comforts of a studio and, and outside the comforts of like projects that I know and, and try and figure myself out a bit more. But yeah, I think on, on that point in particular, a lot of the agencies here are full of kind of people from all around the world. Um, and, you know, Australia is a relatively small country um, and the industry is much smaller. So, you know, if you're kind of reaching out to an agency here or showing interest, like that interest will likely be kind of picked up um, because, you know, new talent is always really welcome, which I think is really healthy as well yeah definitely um so one question here is i'm a south african graphic designer about to move to london as someone who's worked in different countries what do you think is unique to the london design scene and any advice for those trying to break into it um i think the thing that is unique about london and you know, maybe you see it in kind of Paris and, and New York is like design is everywhere. Like it is woven into the fabric of the city. It is, you know, we have legendary designers who have designed the signage system for the tube and the typeface for the tube. And we have museums in kind of that literally are design museums. And we have, you know, nights, well, when people can go out. <laughs> there's kind of events and nights and social activities and like there's a real healthy both competition and community like i think like the design scene in london is is fabulous it energizes you it, it tests you it, it offers you like so many opportunities like that it's understood you know and i think that is like societally understood it's understood what the value of it is and i think that's really wonderful um i think you know it is it, in my mind it's probably the sort of design center of the world or at least design center of kind of the western world um mm. like the the opportunities that you'll be afforded working there like anywhere will be exponentially larger and, and more nuanced than kind of most places in the world um in terms of breaking into it i think it's to that to that point around like community there is a community there and there is you know lots of organizations and resources you can tap into to start to kind of have conversations with people meet people like unpack and unpick what it takes to kind of join those agencies you know through kind of uh, like you know like recruitment resources or like community resources like uh design kids or glug or dnad or like all, all these things are are there for you to to you know 
leverage and become a part of and, and kind of, you know, discover more of, of what London can be. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's a great place to be a designer. It really is like, and you know, it, it allows you as well to like really sort of burrow into in, in a big city and in a big economy like that, you can burrow into like super niche agencies that are doing fantastic work. You know, you don't have to work somewhere with, which is trying to serve everything. You can go and if you're like really into art direction and retail stuff, you know, go and talk to Mark at Rosie Lee's or like the guys at Hotel Creative or something like that. Or, you know, if you want to go and work in like branding or digital or whatever it is, like everything, I think that's, that's just, wonderful like it's so exciting mm, yeah definitely very lucky in london with just like the the, the diversity and the breadth mm. of agencies and the disciplines and things like that um another question about portfolios okay so and this is always an interesting one actually is how long should a pdf portfolio be and how many projects yeah you... good question i mean six to eight I think if you like a couple of reasons, you know, put yourself in the mindset of someone who's receiving a lot of portfolios. You want to be able to get through it. Like you, you want to, um, you want them not to be exhausted by your portfolio. Like I don't want to see like a 50 page PDF land in my inbox, you know, but on the, yeah, and on the flip side of that, save yourself something for when you go in for a chat, mm -hmm. like, I, like when I was when I was a junior, I'd always have like my send portfolio and then my like chat portfolio that would like either expand on pieces or have stuff in which was maybe like I don't know sort of second tier or stuff that was just like a bit kind of loosey goosey. Um, yeah, you need to give yourself something in the tank so that when you sit down for a chat, you're not just rerunning everything that's been seen already. Yeah, definitely. And um, next question is: I was wondering what questions you use to break down the meaningful difference for a brand pitch uh yeah good question um it depends on the client like it totally depends on the client like so the the, the challenge is essentially getting to the core of what a organization and a business does and so depending on the business depending on the organization you approach that in a lot of different ways whether it's like a hospitality client or a finance client or a sports client the yeah, it, it, it changes completely and changes radically, both on the type of type of client at an organizational level and the type of client at a, like a personal level, because, you know, design as much as it is a, a craft and a visual and verbal medium, it is also like, it's a relationship. And I, I really think I'm in like the relationship game, not the design game. And it's, you know, about building relationships with clients and building permission to do work and building relationships with the team and empowering them to do work. Um, and so in that sort of interrogation investigation phase, it's really about like, yeah, kind of sussing them out, figuring them out kind of personally, professionally, understanding their ambition and then using all of that and, and kind of working towards that piece, which is unique and is interesting and, and, and is kind of powerful for a brand to build off of. Um, but if you, if you're after a hard answer, I think uh, a couple of pieces, which are always good to look at five wise, like, you know, it's a classic 
uh, way of interrogating something, like constantly ask why when someone gives you an answer. There's um, uh, a slide that we sometimes throw into decks and kind of turns up in presentations, which is uh, ask the questions of a child, but give the answers of an adult. Mm. You know, and I think that like that, that mindset of like naivety and innocence and investigation is really powerful and you know there is no shame in being in a room of very well-paid and well-versed people within their field and asking questions about their brand their product their service you know because you don't understand because what you're doing is you're putting yourselves in the shoes and in the mindset of someone external to all of that knowledge which is generally a consumer and trying to unpack it down to a level which makes it easy, easily communicable and easily sort of packageable and, you know, something that you can build a brand off of. Mm. Definitely. And um, so next question is, uh, thanks for your talk on positivity, really made my day. We've had some real nice messages like that. Um, do you think our industry has the obligation to make businesses rethink their business models to be more sustainable and socially politically responsible? And do you think that kind of work can be done with a beautiful aesthetic? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, as I kind of mentioned, you know, I think we're at this sort of crossroad between commerce and, and culture, one of them being a human thing and one of them being a, you know, a and you know you only have to look around uh the issues which are both becoming present in the world uh you know the crisis through covid um like you know one of the things which uh, you know you outside of australia you, you've kind of had sort of one big uh environmental crisis this year which is covid we had bushfires this year which were I think uh, sort of three or four months of, of constant burning. There were days when the air quality in Sydney was 12 times the worst air quality in the world. And it was like horrific, you know, like actually horrific. I, I, I can't express how horrible it was. And, you know, now we see that what is happening with, uh, like the Black Lives Movement and civil rights and, and human rights mm. globally. And I think the businesses cannot sit on the sidelines and they cannot opt out of this. The vocal tide of large amounts of society is moving in the right directions, whether governments and sort of multinational corporations and businesses come with them. I think the ones that do will prevail probably um, and, and become much more valuable because of it. Like you look at, um, you know, I think the, the, like the B Corp initiative is really interesting. You look at people like Patagonia who have built a multi-billion dollar business out of being incredibly ethical and purposeful with their cash and their energy um yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's you know and, and like that is really exciting because then you know as problem solvers designers get to unpick like some of the biggest problems i love patagonia have you read the book let my people go surfing it's just yeah. 
fantastic favorite brands by far and also with with black lives matter movement at the moment the fact that we can donate to um prison bail pledges to help mm. out people in the riots as well so we're, we're so connected at the moment in the world with all different causes and um, so next question is are you interested in vr how important do you think vr will be in the future of design um that's funny i feel like when it sort of first came around everyone lost their mind because it was going to be the future of everything um and it i i think within branding and design it kind of never really arrived um you know i i still see it as something which is like really interesting but it's very much in like experience pieces or entertainment um yeah I, I think actually things like mixed reality and augmented reality because you can run them from your phone and you know billions of people around the world have a smartphone i think that's actually much more um accessible and useful for designers and through things like so um snapchat Snapchat has a free um, kind of 3D AR tool that you can download and you can start like making stuff in it really quickly. Um, and I think Adobe has a really intuitive 3D tool, you know, and they can be then essentially dropped back into your phone. So the barrier to access is much, much lower. Like if I think about uh, um, uh, like an Oculus Rift or, or like a Magic Leap, you're looking at like thousands of dollars in setup before you've even got going. And I think until that price barrier comes down, it's just not going to be a viable option for for designers to kind of take part in that. Mm. I remember the VR boom, like well, alleged boom, because I worked with those like visualization <laughs> studios, and yeah. uh, it just never really happened because people felt silly just people don't like that suffocating action of putting something on their face and this the technology mm. wasn't was quite weak wasn't it and it's there's just other better things out there um for like brand experiences but um so let's think about another one goes back to what you said about um people moving into a new sector and mm. how how would you be able to convince a potential employer that you can do their kind of work without the examples to show um that's, that is really tricky that is tricky and i think there is i don't know if i have a good answer for that from the sort of application side i think okay what, what i would say is i think agencies and designers and creative directors need to get a lot better at not confirming their sort of bias to see a reflection of what they already do in the work that comes in like seeing a folio and knowing that you can do the work that we already do, me then hiring you is actually kind of pointless because I know we can already do that work. Like I need to see people who can't 
can do work that I can't do. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Like I need to see diversity. And like part a lot of that responsibility lies with me. Like it's it, it's a tough thing to answer to, to kind of give you a like this is what you should do. Because actually what you shouldn't do is try and conform to a studio style for whom you don't already work or like try and prove that you can replicate the work that they do because that's actually a bit of a fool's errand because they can already do that work what you need to show them is that you know you can look at the work that they do and the kinds of clients that they work for and you can see other ways into those problems and, and kind of other opportunities that's value like that's something they don't have that's something they'll want to hire and you know, part of that is, is showing it through the book that you send or the website that you send. And part of that is like showing that you know uh, an agency's business and the clients and like their challenges and the opportunities. And you've thought about that. Like demonstrating that in conversation is always really interesting. Mm, definitely. So I'll just answer a few more and then I'll let you go. Okay. Yeah, um, sure. Wrap this up. So when going for an interview, do you prefer? people to go through their work on a laptop or bring a physical portfolio uh i honestly i haven't seen a physical portfolio in a very long time um and i think you know for a number of reasons everyone has laptops everyone has ipads um it kind of goes back to the, the sort of question um before which is like what's the medium um if the medium really is then if like okay for example, if you're an illustrator and, you know, a lot of your pieces are kind of hand rendered and they're really large and, you know, the like tactility and the, the, the texture of it adds an emotional value, 100% bring in a physical book. If you're a digital designer who's making websites and things that move, show me a website, show me it moving, like, you know, reflect on what you're showing and, and what's going to show it best one bit of advice I always give is present your work on a laptop um a have it as a pdf because you don't want to be trying to log into their wi-fi it might not just be there yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, have it ready either keynote presentation or a pdf portfolio and if you've got printed pieces what works really nicely is just a box where they've all been kept safe and if you bring yeah. out printed pieces make sure that they're in good condition you don't want things dogged or like coffee stains on them or make yeah, sure yeah. they're immaculate okay i've had people go for like final stage interviews and then they've brought in some print stuff that's just been quite scruffy and and clients see you as an extension of them so if you're hiring someone for your team james you're going to be yeah. thinking what are they going to be like when they go out to clients the standard of presentation for when they're representing our studio has got to be spot on. And so mm. that's advice I give. And so uh, last question is, do you have any clients or designers from India? Um, we don't here in Sydney. Uh, when I was in London, so actually, so it's kind of two parts. When we look at the globe between the four studios, we sort of divide it up um, based on we have two, two studios in North America. So they look after North and South America, uh, New York and um, San Francisco. London generally looks after kind of Europe and then everything basically pretty much 
to India um, because of kind of time zones and be able to work with clients there. So out of, in, out of, out of London, we worked with Star TV for a long time, a ginormous Indian broadcast. That was a really interesting piece of work. And they're also working with a couple of clients there at the moment. Um, so in Sydney, we don't work with any Indian clients. Uh, within the studios, we do have designers from India. Uh, we don't have anyone from India in the studio in Sydney at the moment. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for sparing your time with us. And most people stay right until the end, which is always a great sign. So um, yeah, again, yeah. thank you everyone that joined us today. I hope you got a lot out of this talk and um from james's wisdom and uh yeah <laughs> <It's> very, <laughs> uh, some really kind. challenging questions there that you answered really well so uh oh, thanks great. again take care james i'll be in touch soon cheers guys right. thank you so bye. much bye